0: Our scripture reading today is found in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please pray with me. We're grateful that you are a God who speaks. You speak through the written word. You speak through the the spoken word. You speak through human instruments that are themselves fallible and frail, like me. But you do speak. And for this, we give you thanks, and we ask you now to use all of this to help us know you and to do your will. Amen. So what is the Father's house? And uh, what does it mean that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us? Now I think a part of what Jesus is saying, partly because he has just told his disciples that he's leaving, is that uh, while he has focused throughout his ministry on the thing we talked about last week, His coming back again and restoring all things into new creation. That's the end game. There's still the question of, okay, what if I died before then? And I think Jesus is reassuring us it's going to be okay. My Father's house has plenty of room. But I also believe there's more going on here, partly because of John's gospel and how he highlights something that is also talked about in all the gospels. And that is that... um, while there is that future, that incredible future called the kingdom of God, which John sometimes refers to as eternal life, which in the Greek means the life of the age to come, while that's all true, um, that future has begun to bleed into the present, beginning with Jesus himself. And it's possible for us to begin to enter that future life now. And I think there's some indications here that we are invited to enter into the Father's house now. And that Jesus has made it possible for us to do that. I mean, how does he prepare it away? I don't doubt his talents as a carpenter, but I think even more important is what he did on the cross. And we'll talk in a few moments about how what he did on the cross makes it possible for us to feel comfortable in the Father's house and to know how to relate to each other in the Father's house. But another indicator is, from this point on, we've got four chapters of red-letter verses. And for those of you who have red-letter Bibles, the red letters refer to all the times that Jesus is speaking. And for the next four chapters in John, it's basically Jesus talking. Every once in a while, there's a question or a comment, but it's basically Jesus talking. And I think he's giving us a sense, a feeling for life in the Father's house and what's possible now. He also talks about the Father and Son and Spirit making our house, our bodies, our community, their home. And so in our scripture for today, um, we, we have Jesus saying, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And then a few verses later, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. This week, my wife and I are putting our house on the market. You say, so soon. Well, we understand it takes a couple of months for uh, mortgages to be processed these days. And we hope to purchase a house in Michigan where our kids can come to our house and we can go to their houses. That's, and I know some of you are able to experience that now. And, And so we have this situation where where Jesus has made a way for us to enter into the Father's house and to live there, but also for the Father and Son and Spirit to make our home, our house, our community, God's home. And that sense of the present being our, an opportunity for eternal life is reflected in chapter 17, where Jesus prays, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life even now into the Father's house. And I would like to share with you some gleanings from these chapters about what life in the Father's house is like. I don't know what life has been like or was like when you grew up or is like for you growing up now. And sometimes our experience of life um, growing up in a particular home or even our present home can call her in a positive as well as negative way our sense of what it may be like to live in the father's house. So we want to clear some of that up. So we'll catch up here. The first uh, quality, and that shouldn't surprise any of us, is that this is a loving house, a loving home. And we'll just share some scriptures from um, these next four chapters. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. In fact, why don't you go ahead and recite the, the rest of these with me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So there's a lot of love going in a lot of directions in the Father's house. There's the Father and the Son's love for us, evident through the Spirit's presence. There's our love for the Father and the Son, um, and the Spirit is here to help us with that. We've talked about that in the last few weeks where the Spirit says, go ahead, call him Dad. The Aramaic word being Father. Call him Abba, Dad. And we're to take that love and we're to show that same love towards one another. Love one another as I have loved you. A lot of love in this house. And the particular word for love that's used here is the Greek word agape. Greeks have a lot more words for love than we tend to have in our language. And while it includes affection, you know, some people say, well, there's there's no emotion in agape. But actually, going all the way back to Homer, there was affection in agape. But it doesn't stop there. Agape is a love that is, that is intent on and in contributing to the well-being and the flourishing of those around us. And it's willing to make great sacrifices for that to happen. As, I, uh, as, as Teresa and Beth and Pam and I talked about Alan in preparation for the service on Wednesday, it struck me how Alan really wanted others to flourish Um, he didn't try to tell his kids they had to do anything in particular whether it was sports or dance or music but he said whatever you do I'll support you but you need to play full out you need to put yourself into this and sometimes he made sacrifices so that his children and grandchildren would flourish and of course that's really how a good parent functions right so that shouldn't surprise us about the father's house. Only the siblings, No, the siblings aren't always so intent, especially when we're younger, about helping each other flourish. But in the father's house, we're all intent on helping each other flourish. We want what's best for one another. And that's the kind of love we're talking about. So as John says earlier, God so agapeo, so loved the world, that he gave his son. And last week, um, after that first flush of converts on Pentecost, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the uh, koinonia, fellowship, this shared life where they ate together, they worshiped together, they prayed together, they shared their possessions with one another. That was all an expression of that agape, that love that's a part of living in the Father's house. Another quality of, this, uh, of the Father's house is that there's so much joy here in the Father's house. Some great scriptures that, that point to that. And again, read these with me. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And remember, Jesus is just about to enter into Gethsemane and then Golgotha. so with you now is your time of grief but i will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy until now you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Here he's praying to his father, John 17. So this is a joyful house. Now, there are reasons why we might wonder if that really should be the case, and those reasons may have to do with us. You know, we can bring guilt and shame into this house, for example. And the really cool thing about the Father's house is that rather than those things that we've done that we feel guilty and shame about, being things that should quench our joy, in the Father's house, they end up being reasons for joy. And and in the sense that when we've done those things and come home again, it's party time. And so we have those three back-to-back parables in, in Luke 15. The parable of a lost sheep, the parable of a lost coin, and finally the, the uh, longest and one of our most fa- my most favorite parables is the parable of the lost son. And the focus of those parables isn't on, okay, h- how did these folks get lost? How did that sheep get lost? Or how did that coin get lost? And in fact, in, if anything, in those stories, it says the shepherd lost the sheep. And obviously, the coin didn't lose itself. And even in the case of the prodigal son, um, you know, there's teenage rebellion, okay? We, we do sometimes rebel against God and our parents. That's not the surprise. What the surprise is, is how the son is received. And so when the son is coming home, the father runs out of the house, down the road, and rather than saying to the son, okay, go to your room. We're going to talk later. Or, out to the woodshed. He, he turns to, the, to his servants and he says, get the best coat in the house. Get the family ring. Put it on his finger and, and, and get some sandals. He's not walking into my house with the bare feet. Get him some sandals and while you're at it, kill the fatted calf. We're going to invite all the neighbors. We're going to party tonight. That's the surprise. That's the good news that this young man's sin becomes the occasion for celebration. Of course, the older brother isn't too excited about that. Maybe sometimes we've been in that position. Um, he he, He can't understand why his father doesn't hold a grudge. And our father doesn't. He doesn't even hold a grudge about the fact that we killed our brother. He's just so glad when we come home. There's a Latin phrase for this, Felix culpa, happy fault. Who would have thought that because of Adam and Eve's sin, God decided to rescue us, send his son, and ultimately to create a world that's even better than the present world. This is a joyful house. And I wonder if the father went out to meet the son to make sure that that son didn't take his guilt and shame into the house. We do. We're not thrown out of the house because we're still feeling guilt and shame. But we don't have to. And just to make sure we get that, the son went to the cross and historically and definitively took our guilt and shame upon himself and the Holy Spirit the paraclete in the NIV it's translated advocate and it can be a legal term we got the Holy Spirit as our attorney okay saying you're you're free you're the judge has said you're free no guilt no shame going forward as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us And so it's because of that and so many other reasons that this is a joyful house. It's also a holy house. There's a lot of holiness here. The problem with our perception of holiness is I think we tend to associate it with a lot of rules. And uh, that's not what we're talking about. In fact, as I've often pointed out, what's interesting about the Gospel of John is there are no rules. Only law, the only commandment, even though Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, the only commandment is a new one. And the new commandment is, you shall love your neighbor. No, you shall love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's the commandment. That's the rule. Now, there's different ways of talking about holiness. There's righteousness. There's justice. There's integrity. There's character. And the thing is, it's one thing to be forgiven to be welcomed home, but we still have to stop doing stuff that erodes our relationships with each other, that that ruptures our relationships with each other. And so, one of the lectionary daily lectionary readings for this week, it, Jesus says, "The law was in force until John, John the Baptist." But then a couple of verses later, Jesus actually quotes that passage in the Old Testament that says, in fact, it's the Ten Commandments, you you shall not commit adultery. And the reason we refrain from that isn't because it's the rule. It's because it still damages relationships. It it just does terrible damage to a marriage, to a family, to a church, even to a nation as John the Baptist called Herod on the carpet. You don't want to do that. And it's the truth of it that we live, not so much the fact that it's a rule or commandment. And holiness has a lot to do with wholeness. I was listening to an interview the other day with a gentleman who's a counselor and has done a lot of research in neuroscience and especially a lot of research around the area of shame. And um, he says shame, we, we now know that shame lodges itself in a certain part of the brain. And um, one thing we know about shame is, at least most of the time, when we shame someone, it's because of our own shame. We're speaking and acting out of our own shame. And he says, you know, it's, it's a part of the brain that is, is kind of impervious to just being told to be different. Even the truth of the cross is, is, is difficult to penetrate that part of the brain that, where there, our shame is lodged. And so a part of the healing that that at least this can enhance and help our healing, is to be a part of a community where we can tell our story. The story of not only what's, what we've done, but of what has happened to us. James talks about this. He says, confess your sins to one another so that you can be healed. The Father's house is a house of healing. In the Father's house, holiness and healing are, are part and parcel of one another, you see. And to have someone... And sometimes maybe more people who hear the story and say, that's hard. Oh, I can see why you might be struggling with guilt and shame, but I want you to know that I'm not ashamed of you. You It's the grace of God. I mean, I've done things I'm ashamed of. Aren't we glad for Jesus and what he's done for us? Aren't we glad for our God being a forgiving God, that he forgets our sins? But if you want to say more, please say more. Let's talk. There's something about community that can speak to that part of our brain that needs healing, needs to be set free from shame. So yeah, this holiness is connected to wholeness and we're in the process of becoming whole and it's a process. There's no magic wand. But the Father's house is a house of holiness properly understood. And and by the way, this is how Jesus describes holiness in this in these chapters. In terms of bearing fruit. And again, um, please uh, say these words with me. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you put us forward there, Dave? Thank you. And I love that image of fruit bearing because, you know, it's, it's from the inside. We're not talking about external rule bearing. We're talking about a process of inner transformation and what the result of that is, are, are things that are tasty, that are, that are beautiful. So that the people around us see things and experience things and taste things from us and say, yo, I, I really love that. And actually, I'd like to be able to bear that kind of fruit myself. The kind of fruit that Paul talks about in Colossians 3, the fruit of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So yeah, this is good fruit we're talking. I think we all want it. And the Father's house is a place where we're learning how to bear that kind of fruit. And then there's authority. There's authority on this house. And some people may be thinking, yeah, I thought we'd get to that. And, and again, our, our experience of authority maybe in, in the home that we grew up in from one or both of our parents is sort of negative. IT'S MY WAY OR THE HIGHWAY. IT'S A MATTER OF CONTROL. Sharon um, and I like watching a, a program called The Good Doctor, and at the end of the last episode, um, one of the couples um, separated. The, the woman left. We're hoping they're get, they get back together again. But she said, I love you, but you're so controlling. People expected the Messiah to be controlling when he came, brandishing sword, riding a chariot, lording it over, imposing the will of God on all the nations. And Jesus didn't come with a sword, he came to plant seeds, he said, seeds of the kingdom. He told his disciples, we don't lord it over people here. You're looking forward to being at my right and my left. We don't lord it over people. Those who want to be great in my kingdom need to see themselves as the servants and slaves of everyone else. The thing is, you know, we we had that series a while back that we were all made to reign. That's a part of being made in the image of God. And, And so we are here to be people of influence wherever we live, work, play, and learn. And what's the goal of authority? Well, I think if we go back to the beginning of creation, we can see that the goal of our using our God-given authority is to create a beautiful place and a beautiful people. We're here to create a beautiful place and a beautiful people. Another way of putting it would be we're here to take what we're learning about living in the Father's house and apply that wherever we live, work, play, and learn. So if we can plant seeds of love, of joy, the kind of holiness that gradually bears fruit and that's appealing and attractive and beautiful, and also empower those around us to realize you are a person of authority. You are a person of influence where you live, work, play, and learn. And so, yes, it's, we're, we're learning how to exercise a godly authority in this house. And, go, and the father gladly shares his authority with the son. And, and some passages that reflect this authority are, are found in, first of all, John 16. Again, please uh, say these words with me. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask, in my name, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And that word glory often in the scriptures refers to being in a place of authority. Jesus is the Son of God, and we are sons and daughters of God. And that's also part of why this, this, by the way, this unity is so important. It's because the Father, Son, and Spirit are of one mind and one heart that together they are investing in this world and in our lives. And the hope is that we will be one. That we will be of one voice and heart and be able to bear witness to the amazing life that's found in the Father's house. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This isn't a blank check. This is, this is how we are going to fulfill our divine mandate. And so prayer is obviously an important part of this. And the idea is because we have the Father's ear, and because we actually pray in Jesus' name, which is Jesus' authority. Um, when we pray, we direct the Father's attention to that situation. And we're even encouraged to pray specifically. Now, we don't control God, okay, any more than he controls us. But, but sometimes he will actually do the specific thing we ask for. Other times he will say, you know, I've, I've got a better plan. It's a longer-term plan. Um, but we can trust that when we pray, the the Father's attention will be directed to that situation or person or relationship. That's why we have this authority. That's why our prayers are so important, you see, to carry out this mandate to bring flourishing and blessing to those around us. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. YOU MAY ASK ME FOR ANYTHING IN MY NAME, AND I WILL DO IT. THEN THERE'S WISDOM. AND I WILL ASK THE FATHER, AND HE WILL GIVE YOU ANOTHER ADVOCATE TO HELP YOU AND BE WITH YOU FOREVER. THE SPIRIT OF TRUTH. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth. John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And this truth isn't just information. It's not even theological information. It's it's wisdom about how to navigate life, how to navigate our relationship with God and one another. And so this is a house where wisdom is shared. Heard an interview this week with a, a woman who, uh, a Christian professor who is concerned about um, how our, our language is shrinking. We, we, we use less and less words to describe our experience and to describe this world. And um, even though we have all this information available to us on, on the net and you know, in our Kindles and hard, hard copy books. And, She talked about growing up in a three-generation house where her mother and her grandmother were both teachers. And she said, you know, over dinner, we would have the most interesting conversations. We would read together after dinner. We would reflect upon what we were reading together. And there was just so much wisdom that came out of that whole experience. And I think that's what God wants for us. We have this book, and it never gets old. We have the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us to... You know, there's that, there's that spiritual practice or discipline called Lectio Divina. Uh, Divina. And it's, it's this meditative way of, of seeing the Bible not just as a book, but as a place where we encounter God. And God speaks into our lives. And sometimes you have to take some time for that. And then to do that in community, the, you know, the combination of community and, and, and Bible and Holy Spirit, and, and to experience God, bringing new insights and also direction i know it's been so important for me uh, every morning to come into god's presence and to allow him to speak into my life um you know all truth is god's truth and so there are a lot of places where we can get wisdom today and i mean that sincerely and I think my, my main concern is that there's so much out there that, that's so you know, interesting and informative that we neglect the truth that is here. And so, and so for example, and we get into this, these ways of, that are sort of black and white, and they become points of controversy, like critical race theory, for example which I think has a lot to teach us about racism and injustice in general. Basically it says it's not just individuals who make decisions and have racial attitudes. It's um, racist attitudes. It's, it's kind of embedded in whole systems where we just sort of unconsciously do things in a way that is affected by racism. And that makes sense to me. The Bible talks about injustice embedded in societies. That doesn't mean we have to accept that hook, line, and sinker i think of another system that i have sometimes mentioned and i i've learned a lot from and that's family systems theory a lot of stuff being written about how that applies to churches at the same time sometimes i have this this gnawing discomfort that thinks that's the answer that's the way to understand body life and how to become healthy on its own But I'm convinced that while we, again, all truth is God's truth, let's not neglect the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and gathering around these and talking and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak that wisdom that is especially important for our lives right now. And so, yes, the Father's house is a house of wisdom. It's also a house where we learn how to sacrifice. This is Memorial Day weekend. And yes, there have to be, has to be sacrifice at times, even the sacrifice of lives, for there to be flourishing. Jesus paid that ultimate sacrifice. He already sacrificed when he became human. He emptied himself, became nothing, became a servant, and ultimately, says Paul, died that horrible, horrible death on a cross. I think we instinctively know, and I alluded to this earlier, that a healthy family isn't just a family where everybody does their own thing. Yeah, do whatever you want. Everybody Everybody is just kind of follow your own dream, do whatever you want. A healthy family is a family where people are making sacrifices. And not just the parents, as I said earlier, but the siblings. To help each other become the person that each of us was designed by God to be. And we're willing to sacrifice for that. And I know that you already know about that. I know many of you have made enormous sacrifices for the people in your lives, but also for people outside your families. And I think of Alan again, who wasn't just his family. He he served in the school board for 10 years. That's got to be a really hard job. I don't envy anyone who's on a school board. As president of the school board, he was concerned about the flourishing, not just of his family, but of other children and of the community. AND I KNOW THAT'S THE HEART OF MANY OF YOU AS WELL. IT'S MANIFEST IN SOME OF THE MINISTRIES AND PROGRAMS OF OUR CHURCH. JESUS TALKS ABOUT OBEYING GOD'S COMMANDS. AS I SAID RARELY, IT'S it's RARELY A COMMANDMENT, BUT IT'S LIKE HE CALLS US TO DO SOMETHING. AND WE DO IT. AND USUALLY THERE'S SOME SACRIFICE THAT HAS TO BE MADE. IF WE'RE GOING TO OBEY THAT COMMAND TO SUPPORT AND LOVE AND CONTRIBUTE TO THE FLOURISHING OF ONE ANOTHER AND OTHERS. AND THEN FINALLY, OH, AND THIS IS the, the, SORT OF THE CORE TEACHING OF JESUS FOR THIS. MY COMMAND IS THIS, LOVE EACH OTHER AS I HAVE LOVED YOU. GREATER LOVE IS NO ONE THAN THIS, TO LAY DOWN ONE'S LIFE FOR ONE'S FRIENDS. YOU ARE MY FRIENDS IF YOU DO WHAT I COMMAND. And then finally, it's a house of peace, which seems to kind of contradict what we've just talked about, but it doesn't have to. And again, some great scriptures in these four chapters. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe and trust in God, believe also in me. And yeah, there are some peace quenchers, peace disruptors, like guilt and shame, like fear. Fear of death, fear of life, being afraid of God. Pete in his primer on prayer, which I've been rereading, says he's been, he said, the biggest obstacle to our having meaningful prayer lives is, is not trusting God. It's a faulty understanding of God. And hopefully some of what we've shared today will um, confirm for us that God is, is love, that this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this mystery of three in one, is love. So God wants us to know peace. Yeah, there's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be trouble. But let's uh, learn together how to trust this God and see what he's gonna do with the trouble. And so uh, this is a house where there's a lot of love and joy, holiness in the best sense of the word, where we're learning how to properly exercise authority. It's a house where wisdom is shared. It's a house of sacrifice. And yes, a house of peace. A few years ago, my wife and I saw a movie. It's uh, Life as a House. And um, George, a 40-something employee at an architectural firm, loses his job and loses his health. When he learns he has only four months to live, the disrepair of his sorrowful life comes into painful focus. George determines to spend the remaining weeks of his life building the house he'd always dreamed of. With the help of his estranged teenage son and ex-wife, he tears down his shack and builds a beautiful home on the California coast. The restoration of his house is a metaphor of his life. Well, during this process, George tells his son, Sam, about how his alcoholic father caused an accident in which a woman was killed and her small child was paralyzed. George has lived, had lived with the guilt and grief of what his father had done, as well as how his alcoholic father had affected him. Well, when George dies, he bequeaths the newly built house to his son, Sam. And Sam knows in his heart what he needs to do. He locates the paralyzed girl in a run-down trailer park. As Sam and his mother walk through the trailer park, his mother asks, Are you sure you want to do this? Yes, says Sam. You could keep it. Rent it out, his mom suggests. This is what he wanted, Sam insists. His mother says, I read the letter, you read the will. He wanted you to keep it and live in it someday. Sam says, all right, maybe it's not what he wanted, but it's what he was hoping for. As the scene ends, Sam and his mother encounter the woman in a wheelchair, hanging laundry on a clothesline. Sam says to the woman in the wheelchair, excuse me, would you mind if we sit a moment and talk? My father built you A house. Where there's a father and there's a son, and there's someone called the Holy Spirit who has built us a house, a house to live in. And they also would love to make our house their home. And the thing is, God's house is, is. HANDICAP ACCESSIBLE. WE CAN BRING OUR BROKENNESS. IN THOSE AREAS WHERE WE'RE PARALYZED, WHERE WE'RE JUST STUCK, HE SAYS, COME ON IN. WE CAN WORK WITH THAT. WE CAN WORK AROUND THAT. And MAYBE WE'LL WORK ON HEALING THAT AS WELL WHILE WE'RE AT IT. LET'S PRAY. FATHER, SON, AND HOLY SPIRIT, Thank you for being so hospitable. We're still trying to let in the fact that you are this welcoming, this gracious, and this generous. And Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to enter the Father's house. It's a beautiful place. Thank you for the house as well as the home that Alan helped build. Pam is going to need your help as she grieves, as she wonders about the future and that you help her grow into that future. The whole family is going to need your help. Come, helper. Come, Holy Spirit. And speaking of homes, Patty and Wayne still need your help, as well as Nicole and Christopher, their entire family. We pray that you will help Diane and Ray as well in their home. WE PRAY FOR HOMES WHERE THE MEMORY OF THOSE WHO GAVE THEIR LIVES FOR THEIR COUNTRY STILL LINGERS, STILL HURTS. WE PRAY FOR THE HOMES AND FAMILIES OF THOSE WHOSE MINDS AND BODIES HAVE BEEN PERMANENTLY AFFECTED BY COMBAT AND WAR. WE PRAY FOR OUR CHURCH AND WONDER ABOUT YOUR PLANS FOR IT AND THE PART EACH OF US HAS TO PLAY FOR THOSE PLANS TO BE FULFILLED. MAY WE HEAR YOUR COMMAND AND YOUR CALL. SO THAT THIS CONGREGATION CAN HELP THIS NEIGHBORHOOD AND OUR WORLD BECOME A BEAUTIFUL PLACE AND A BEAUTIFUL PEOPLE. AND TO THAT END, WE NOW PRAY THE PRAYER THAT YOU TAUGHT US. OUR FATHER, WHO ART IN HEAVEN, HALLOWED BE THY NAME. THY KINGDOM COME, THY WILL BE DONE ON EARTH AS IT IS IN HEAVEN. GIVE US THIS DAY OUR DAILY BREAD AND FORGIVE US OUR DEBTS AS WE FORGIVE OUR DEBTORS.